Welcome to the Covation Center podcast and the From Bars to Business series. This series focuses on the challenges of reentry for the justice involved and how businesses can benefit from hiring them and make a positive difference in their lives. This podcast is funded through a grant from the First Community Foundation Partnership of Pennsylvania. Corey Amos from Flagger Force joins us today to discuss the business benefits of people with background barriers in today's episode, It's Not Charity. Let's get talking. We're back again for another episode of From Bars to Business. And as always, I'm excited to have another guest. I keep saying that time and time again, but but this is going to be a very interesting one. I hope you all will enjoy it. I'm talking today with Corey Amos from Flagger Force and going to talk to her about her second chance program or their second chance program. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Now, I, I just mentioned it. Well, let's start off first with Flagger Force as a company. I, I sure. think we all kind of know who you are. <laughs> Uh, but what is Flagger? Well, I like to say that we are the company that frustrates you. We're the company that is really making you mad on a daily basis, especially on a day like today where it's beautiful and sunny and it's slightly warm. So construction is at an all-time high. This is the height of the the beginning of the height of the construction season. So we provide uh, temporary traffic control services in we're really densely populated in the mid-Atlantic, but we also provide services in North Carolina and Georgia. So we provide both people and equipment who can provide safe work zones for anyone from, you know, large um, uh, utility companies to your local tree cutting company. So, and everything in between, but yes, we provide temporary traffic control services, which includes um, you know, flaggers, flagging operations, and equipment to provide safe work zones. So again, we are the organization that you love seeing. You love seeing those road closed signs and somebody putting their flag out saying, don't go here. But yes, that's what we do. I, uh, as a township supervisor here in Pennsylvania, I at least can appreciate the fact that we get better roads usually when we're done. And as a rural electric board member, I appreciate that if you're out there helping the the tree cutting folks, you're keeping my power from going out. You're helping keep my power from going out uh, when we have heavy windstorms and ice storms. So as much as it's an inconvenience, I've learned to appreciate it. Yes. I will give a, just an overwhelming, you're welcome to everyone. I, it's like short-term sacrifice for long-term gain. Oh, we hope. We absolutely hope. Well, speaking of long-term gains, uh, <laughs> that is kind of what we want to talk about today. Is, as careful listeners will know, we're talking a lot about people reentering the workforce, usually talking about them reentering from having been justice involved, uh, whether that means having gone to jail or gone to prison. Uh, but you all have a program to help people, uh, to, to give them that leg up, if you will, as they come back into the process. I believe it's called the Second Chance Program. Could you give us a yeah. quick overview of that program? Sure. A few years ago, Flagger Force was not unique in the sense that we're constantly fighting for talent. We're always trying to hire, um, not only because operations are expanding, but um also, a lot of people promote within the organization and, you know, some people leave the organization as well. So one of the um, endeavors the organization undertook was to try to figure out those people who stay, 
what is it about them that makes them stay? These great employees that we can obviously identify are five-star talent. What is it about them that maybe we can go into the labor market and try to source? So we went through this uh, exercise of um, really doing these um, town halls and these uh, um, and these uh, focus groups with some of those employees who were identified as really the best. And one of the things that we found is that a lot of those individuals who were the best, one of the questions that they asked was, why did you initially come to Flagger Force? And then what kept you here? So were, there were a lot of individuals who answered, this was one of the few places who would hire me because mm. of my background. So prior to ever going out into the world and saying we're a second chance friendly organization and all of those things, we already were. We just didn't define it. And I don't think we were, we were proactively using that as a talent acquisition strategy. So anyway. Well, that's actually we, a very interesting thing because you know we're, we're highlighting businesses like yours that actively come out and say, hey, we hire, we provide second chances. But there are a number of businesses that for them, it's just been part of their culture all along. And that sounds like that's where you all started. Definitely. It was already something that was a no-brainer because of the nature of the work. A lot of those reasons that maybe some organizations haven't yet delved into this strategy, they really don't exist within Flagger Force. You would you would be hard-pressed to find a business case or business necessity that would really justify precluding these individuals from employment. You'd be mm-hmm. hard-pressed to do it. So from there, we said, okay, well, this is interesting. We always knew that this was something about us that we could be really... Um, accommodating to maybe some of those barriers that show up on those background checks. Yeah, Why actually, don't we I, just I like, will say here, you're the person yeah. that introduced me to that phrase, background barriers. Background and, barriers, because not everybody's been incarcerated, right? A felony conviction can get in your way, whether you were incarcerated or not. Even sometimes multiple misdemeanors um, can really get in a person's way. A person, you know, whoever the hiring manager or the HR person gets this background and they see a bunch of hits on the report and they start to get really nervous. And so it doesn't always have to be incarceration. It's there's something in that background, that justice involvement up to and including incarceration that when you get out there in the labor market and you're really trying to find a job, there are a lot of organizations that it just, for whatever reasons and not to malign those organizations, but it's just a non-starter for them. so there's something in that background, even if it's really, really old, right? That just gets in a person's way. So the first partnership that we created was in Baltimore with an organization called Living Classrooms. And they're an organization that really focuses on when people are re-entering into their communities from incarceration. They provide this um this program where the individuals are reacclimating, they're getting those job readiness skills within that organization, but then they also actually work for living classrooms. So, um, and there are a few other organizations that do this where they get these um, contracts to provide maybe landscaping services or something like that with the city or county. Um, so then it really provides an opportunity for those individuals to kind of have like a safe place to fail in a sense where they can get those job readiness skills, but also while earning a paycheck. So that was the first partnership that we created where we said, okay, well, when people graduate from your program, 
we would love to maybe, you know, have a place for them to, you know, uh, a place for you to put them into the pipeline that maybe Flagger Force would be an opportunity for them. So, so you're, you're essentially transitioning from recognizing that you already are open to hiring and have been hiring these individuals to actively partnering with organizations to, to continue that process because, you, you, as, exactly. as you said, you've identified a need. We've identified the need. We know that this is a talent pool that's really underutilized, to use a nice word, underutilized. Ignored. One Completely ignored. Because in a time where the employer kind of is in the power seat, so to speak, where they're, you know, maybe there's high unemployment numbers or, um, you know, in that situation, if you look at the power dynamic, if a person has a background, the employer is almost always in the power seat as it relates to that relationship between employer and candidate. Um, not at Flagger Force, but in a previous organization that I worked in, um, we would try to partner with other organizations to try to get them to hire people and trying to really build that case for them to say, this is a great idea. You're really losing out on some talent. But they looked at it as a bargain solution. Hmm. So they were saying, these organizations were saying, well, we could pay them whatever we want to pay them because, you know, who, they'll they, they'll they just be grateful to have a job. Yeah. Oh, I, they'll just be great, and it's and it's terrible, and it turns your stomach, and you just think, yeah, this is a this is a position where the person you can really see the power dynamics and how unequal they are. So, um, but one of the things that was that, and this is you know pervasive for people who have any kind of barrier to employment, transportation. Transportation is just very challenging, and we support the construction industry, so. We don't report to an office every single day. You know, our crew members are anywhere from a four-lane highway to a backwoods road. So transportation- We, we have those here. Issue. We have the backwoods roads. <laughs> You've got those. You've got those. So it becomes a major challenge because you have to be able to get yourself to the job every day. And listen, we only dispatch you within a certain mile radius from where you live, but still, you know, public transportation isn't always going to get you there. And we need reliability. That's one of the most key job readiness skills, something our clients depend on us for, that dependability. So we're pretty uniquely positioned to provide a support in that way because we have over a thousand trucks on the road, over a thousand Flagger Force trucks across our footprint in every community that we serve. We have people in company-owned trucks. So we said, well, Maybe there's something we can do in this situation where it's that really vicious cycle of, I don't have a driver's license, so I can't get a job, but I can't get my license because I don't have a job because I maybe have fines I have to pay or whatever the situation is. It becomes just like just this negative cascading series of events where you can't get out of your current circumstances. So we said, okay, well, what if for a period of time that we partnered, that we paired Employees of ours who have a truck, who live within reasonable proximity to somebody who doesn't have transportation, who has this background barrier, and that while that person is handling whatever the circumstances are, we would provide their transportation. What if we did that? You know, you start to come up with like, instead of saying why you can't, just shoot for the stars and then kind of reverse engineer it to say, well, what can we do? What's possible? So that's how the mentoring program was born where we pair these individuals, not just for transportation, but those those employees of ours who are providing the transportation go through training 
on how to mentor that person. And really, we're talking about modeling the behaviors of the job that we really find to be those that are, you know, conducive to being that five-star employee that I talked about. So for a period of time, we can provide your transportation. So, okay, now we've taken the transportation barrier. We've taken that off the table, the background, we're taking it off the table. And now we're just looking at you as a candidate. Mm. We're just interviewing you to say like, would you be a good fit for this job? Do you think you would enjoy this job, right? Because it still is a mutual decision. Are you participating in the selection process in a way that we find to be acceptable, as in returning phone calls, showing up to the in-person interview, which is crew member training? So, so you're essentially saying, we, we get this background is there. You still have conditions you have to meet, but they're the same conditions Absolutely. that Steve Brady would have to meet. And, and yeah. Steve Brady wouldn't get hired. You looking for a job? Um, <laughs> I don't think you just mentioned like five things that you're a part of. I don't think you need another thing. So I, yes, it's a way to just say that we often say we look at the background last. That's the last thing that we look at. We do perform a background check. We do still have to be an organization that is assessing risk, right? Mm-hmm. We don't hire every single person who applies to this program, would you be shocked to find out? You still have to earn the position just like anybody else. We're just taking these identified barriers off the table. We're just saying, listen, we're going to take this off the table, but performance standards don't change. Selection standards don't change. We're just kind of saying, we're going to create this reasonable accommodation under these set of circumstances to provide this person an opportunity while addressing these barriers are so common within this candidate population. So now you just have to do the job. Hmm. That's it. I like that. And, and I think we talked about this previously uh, and, and in your second chance program, then you have a little bit of a structure to it too, right? So it's not just, okay, we're going to connect you with somebody who'll drive you to work. You have a process in place to assist as they move into this program. Is that right? Yeah. So we pretty much exclusively hire into this program through what we would call candidate referral partners. So Living Classrooms out of Baltimore was our first. In Pennsylvania, we work very closely with state parole and probation and the uh, the state SCIs, as well as county and federal probation, but also all of these programs around the country that are designed to support people with barriers to employment. One of those being there's something in the background. So it's either community organizations, reentry training programs, you know, state workforce agencies like in Pennsylvania, CareerLink. We work very closely with them. Um, you know, the state workforce development boards re-entry coalitions. We really work with these organizations to say, this is a program that we have available. But if we work through these partnerships, what our hope is, is that there's some level of screening or vetting before a person comes to us. Mm. Um, And then through that, listen, from there, they go through a traditional selection process, just like anybody else. One of the things we have to assess, which is sometimes a challenge, do we have a mentor available in your area? So that's one of the things that just logistically and resources, do we have the ability to bring you into this program? That's something that we have to look at. 
we're usually always saying yes and then figuring it out later, even if it's a challenge. <laughs> um, but no, so we we really try to work through partnerships to bring people into this program as opposed to just like, you know, <laughs> going all over the internet and saying, come one, come all. This is a way that they're sort of, and the other part of that too is if something happens during that person's employment with us, all of a sudden someone's not reachable. Okay. We like to have another person that we can reach out to, that referral partner to say, hey, so and so, we can't get a hold of them. Do you know what's going on? We don't want to just be, you know, termination trigger happy to say, forget it. This person did pick up the phone. There's some of that reasonable accommodation lens that we're looking through to say, maybe there are some circumstances. We had one person who was great employee, was doing really, really well, all of a sudden became unreachable. So we reached back to the partner who had referred them and it turns out there was a housing issue. And so we were able to, you know, we can't help you with housing, but we can maybe redirect you, especially if we're working with a partnership. Um, And so got resolved and that person got back on track. So that's another reason why we like to work through referral partners so that there's someone to reach. Listen, referral partners have varying levels of capacity, right? We understand that. But it it does help the probability of success if there's kind of another person coming around this person to say, come on, let's go. You know, this isn't, you didn't ruin your opportunity by not answering that call yesterday. We just need to correct it and make it right. Well, I like what you're saying there too. And and I've had a conversation with Michael Bowden. He's with the Lycoming County Reentry Coalition. And one of the things that comes out from that is exactly what you're talking about. You've built your own sort of coalition here with the re- referral partners in this referral program that you've got where you can reach back and, and give back to that support structure. And I think it's important for all of us as business owners and just members of our community to understand that, you know, we we don't have a responsibility or an obligation in any sort of legal way, but as members of our community, it's good for us to want to help make those connections, even if we can't provide housing, even if we can't provide whatever, right. let's help. Let's connect them to the organizations right. that are in that swim lane. And I, I talk swim right. lanes a lot. Yeah, yeah. And it makes complete sense. And for us, the one thing that we try to really put out there, especially to the business community is we get a lot of feedback from people when they hear about our program, wherever they're from. And they will just say, oh, you guys are amazing for what you're doing. And I say, well, I agree with you, but... (laughs) I like that. Not maybe but, but and... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, go for the and. And this is a talent acquisition strategy. If there was no mutually beneficial beneficial component here, if this wasn't to the benefit to the individual and the organization in some way, it would be hard to justify. So we are in a unique position to be able to provide transportation support. That's not something that I think every organization can do, but there's two components here. There's the super logical, clinical talent acquisition strategy of saying, we need to hire more people. This is an untapped resource. This might be a way to bring people in who we can retain at a higher rate than our traditional population, right? So there's that piece. Then there is the warm and fuzzy, squishy, 
this is how we are investing in the communities where we work. So we're not just a consumer of our communities, but we're a contributor as well. So there's these two pieces, but let me just be honest. If there wasn't, if there wasn't a business problem we were trying to solve, then it would just be charity. And then in those situations, and again, from a past organization, talking to other organizations, if you do it strictly out of charity, not going to find the level of success that you could, because it really has to be about benefiting the organization and the individual. We've I've talked to a lot of people again in the past where they, they hired a person who had a background out of a bleeding heart person had a good story and the employer just completely disregarded any of the processes that they would typically go through and it didn't work out. And then the employer wants to blame it on the fact that this person had a background. And I would challenge that to say, I don't think that's it. I think you threw your process out the window because the person had a good story and it didn't work out because you either hired somebody who was not qualified for the job. So they really didn't set them up for success. Um, but also, why didn't you do a background check? I mean, you think a person's being honest, but I'll tell you what, I've seen a lot of situations where a person thinks that if I come right out and I, I it looks like I'm being really forthright, but I'm only telling you part of the story because I think by putting that out there, maybe you won't run a background check. Um, it's just a way to verify. You still have to cover your bases. That's really kind of interesting. Because one of the things that that you and I had talked about previously is that you don't have a list of disqualifying convictions. But again, you come back to uh, you need to meet our our requirements for a business. Now, uh, as we look at that, and you talk about having your partnerships with referral programs, uh, and that tends to be for people that are just reentering. Let's let's talk somebody who's been out for five or ten years, or they've been yeah. away from what it, whatever it is. It's still on their background. They still have a felony conviction, perhaps sitting out there, but they have a regular employment history, and they're just coming to you as an, a potential employee. Do they have to go through a referral program, or can they yeah. enter the process regularly? And you just look at them like you would any other candidate, right? So there are a lot of people who come through who have some stuff on the background that are pretty old. You know, they're maybe seven to 10 years old and really employer best practices is to look back seven years, but some people go back a little further. When you, when we get that, we still, we still are second chance friendly. That was where we started. Right. So this might be a person who um, doesn't have any transportation barriers, right? They have a driver's license. They have access to a vehicle on a daily basis, but they still have been, there still have been, they've been inhibited in their progression professionally because of the background. So if they come to us and there's stuff in the background and it's old, unless they have a transportation barrier, we hire them just like we would hire anybody else. We still perform the check. We still do a holistic review um, where we're looking at the background last. But one of the things about Flagger Force that made me Really, this is the reason I joined Flagger Force because I've worked in HR for a long time. And, you know, the the second chance, uh, you know, hiring people who have background barriers, that was sort of a new thing to me that had been for about a couple of years before I joined the organization. But one of the things that was really attractive to me was that there's this career track within Flagger Force that's accessible to anyone. 
we're not going to run your criminal background check again before we promote you. We might run to, your was, driving report again. But. I was about to ask that because you you talked about progression and their progression limited where, where they were. So yeah. this this is a very important aspect, I think, of what you all do. And I'm glad you said it's one of the reasons you went there. Oh, you, for sure. You allow people to progress through the organization. Not allow. I mean, people will progress right. in the organization as they earn the position. As they earn it. As they earn it, just like anybody else. So if you come into the organization through our mentoring program, or if you come to the organization just as a candidate who has stuff in the background, who knows nothing about the mentoring program, but are hired because, again, we're, we remain second chance friendly throughout our operations. When you go to progress as far as promotion, which impacts you know your earning potential, we don't reconsider your background. It doesn't come up again. So there's no difference between the person coming through the mentoring program or not when it relates to progressing through in the, throughout the organization. There truly is a career track. If you stick with it and you do well and you earn those promotions, you can really have progressive levels of responsibility within, a, within your first year, really. It's, it's not difficult to attain. And that's something that I saw, again, previously, organizations that would hire, but it was sort of, this is a little crass, but I would say it's like their mistress. Come through the back door. Don't tell anybody about your background. We're never going to let you progress. We're going to keep you right where you are. So yeah, we let you come in the back door, but we really don't want to acknowledge you. Um, Unless we need to do a public press release or something about how great we are. How great we are. But I'll tell you what, actually, we work very closely with parole and probation. And we do a lot of um, speaking to different reentry councils and coalitions and stuff like that. So it's interesting because there are a lot of organizations who do hire individuals who have backgrounds, but they don't want to tell anyone. Hmm, interesting. How it will affect their percep- the perception of their clients. There are a lot of reasons why, you know, so the one person we work with a lot who really heads up their reentry uh, programs, she'll say, another employer I work with does something like this. And she'll say, but I can't tell you who they are because they don't want anyone to know. I and guess I won't be interviewing reasons. them, huh? Probably not. <laughs> I don't even know who they are, but there, there are reasons for that. And I, and again, I don't, I don't want to criticize, but we're in a unique position that we're just like, we, there is no reason for us to be quiet about this. There are so many individuals who are released from incarceration, almost a third of adults, you know, working aged adults who have something in the background. We really should get rid of the stigma, but it's difficult and it'll take time. I actually just had a guy call me um, very like fancy credentials, probably makes a lot of money really up there in, in, in a certain industry. And he saw something that I shared on LinkedIn about um, in Allegheny County, we were, we were doing an employer roundtable, and we were going to share about how we've, what our, op, what our practices are as it relates to hiring people back. And he reached out to just say, Hey, I'm interested in learning more about this. Would you have a call with me? Sure. We're always happy to share. We can't hire every single person who has a background. Not every single person who has a background wants to join Flagger Force. We are, you know, happy to spread the wealth. He reached out because although he's in his early 40s and again, super fancy, 
all of those things. When he was 18, he was incarcerated for four years. Mm. And he really wants to implement something within his organization to hire, to provide opportunity. But he is very nervous about kind of outing himself as a person who has a similar story. Because how will it affect his opportunities moving forward? So there still is a stigma. So I do understand when people want to remain a little bit more private. That's not us. We're happy to talk about it. We're happy to share. We have a lot of really great success stories. We also have some more difficult stories. Somebody who we thought was really going to do well, and then unfortunately, it didn't work out. Um, well, and what I would add to that is simply that happens regardless of whether they're, uh, they're bad, they have background barriers and justice involved, or they just were a bad hire. I mean, and yeah. bad hires happen. And we have to recognize Thank that you. and move on. In fact, one of the things we do in our cohort program that we run at week eight is all about the employment life cycle. And we talk about hiring and, and all the different ways employees will leave. Some of them because they get promoted and they go somewhere else. And some of it because, well, you have to invite them to seek other opportunities. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you have to prompt them to maybe, maybe this isn't such a bit. And that you're right, that it would happen with anybody. And, and the, another thing I would challenge somebody who usually the concerns with employers are around theft and violence. I was about These to ask, what, what would you recommend to businesses? Concern. I mean, as you go through yeah. this, so you would recommend that talk about this, for instance, you would talk about their, their yeah. concerns. So what would you say to businesses as they look at this and what are their concerns? I would say two things. First of all, you really need to look at job relatedness and business necessity or business operations. How does the background relate to the job? How would it impact business operations? I'll give you an example. We have many times one of the most difficult decisions, just to be frank, is when a person is on the sex offender registry. Mm. That is a major challenge, right? There are, for all of the reasons, and there are varying degrees of that conviction, right? So one of the things we have to look at is job relatedness. Okay, well, how closely is this person working with other individuals? At Flagger Force, you, you really can kind of be a lone wolf in a way. But then we have to look at business operations. And we look at these situations and we say, does this individual have a restriction about where they're allowed to be? Yes? Okay. Unfortunately, our dispatching system can't account for that. We dispatch thousands of people a day. I can't account for that. So from a business operation standpoint, it becomes an undue hardship and we can't progress. So that's just an example of looking at the two, job relatedness and business necessity. I wouldn't hire a bank robber to be a bank teller. I wouldn't do that. I would look at the job relatedness of their conviction. Never had that happen. But now on the other side of the coin, I used to work with somebody very closely who was a pretty famous um, hacker. And, but he then was providing services to people to help assess their, um, their cybersecurity. Why do I suddenly want to say free Kevin? <laughs> no. No, it wasn't. Okay. No, no, no. Okay. 
he's I don't want to say, but he's anyway. Okay, he, that's fine. From from a while ago, but yes. But so this is a person you you initially look at the job relatedness and you want to say, no way. But then you look at the job relatedness and you go, huh. He's kind of uniquely qualified to poke holes in your security systems because he can find them really easily. Um, so re- job relatedness and business necessity. I love Those that example two. because we see that in these television shows all the time, right? The the black hat that becomes a white hat. And, yep. and we just accept that narrative that the black hat hacker becomes a white hat hacker and <laughs> get the redemption process. And we refuse yeah. to say, could that be somebody else? You know, we, right? we just have blinders on more often than not. We as a society have blinders on to the other crimes. It's a challenge. And I know, listen, if your concern is around theft or violence or things like that, those are the typical ones. I would just say, number one, you really need to educate yourself on how to read a background check report. You can see a lot of arrests, but you need to look at convictions. You really need to consider convictions and not arrests. Now, listen, if a person is having a lot of police contact, there is a lens through which you need to look at that, right? We need to look at, you know, racial disparities in justice involvement in police contact, which is why if you really want to just go to best practice, look at the convictions, not at the arrest, not the arrest records. Look at what has happened since the last conviction. How has this person been demonstrating different behaviors? Um, I'll give you a good another example. We had a person who had some pretty, what we would consider low level um, and infrequent convictions, but most of them were violent. You know, had 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 were violent related, and this person. Um, had some work history that we could go back to. And when we looked at it, we said, okay, why did you leave your last position? I see you just left there within a couple of weeks. Why did you leave this position? Well, I was fired because I got into a fist fight with a coworker. Now, if we put these two things together, has this person been demonstrating change, new behavior in that situation based on their participation in the selection process, the information they gave to us about their work history, in cooperation with the background check, we determined this is not a good fit. So pulling all of those things together, for we constantly use the phrase holistic review, looking at all of the pieces. Already this person did not have a great phone interview. So, And then we, when you put all these things in cooper- cooperation with one another, it helps you make that decision. Um, So again, job relatedness, business necessity, looking at all of the pieces and come from the perspective of what if I had to hire this person? I would ask myself this question. What if I didn't have a choice? I have to hire this person. Then what? What would I have to do in order to make this work? And sometimes, and that kind of goes to the business, uh, the business relatedness of their convictions, that is sometimes a way to look at it from the perspective of, you know what, it actually wouldn't be that difficult if we just, but and other times you look at it and you say, no, we'd be twisting ourselves into a pretzel to make this work. It doesn't make sense. We can't, it, it, it's not going to work. I, I do like uh, a while back, you made the comment that it's not charity and, and that get, ties in very nicely with your whole business necessity or business um, 
relevance. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, I think we may have a show title. It's not charity <laughs> it's uh, not for charity. this episode, but uh, I, I appreciate all of this. And in fact, I appreciate all that you've shared and that Flagger Force is doing in working with uh, with justice involved or background barriers. And and you know, I'm, I'm going to say it. People have heard me say background barriers a couple times in these podcasts. It all comes from Corey. I, I don't know where she got it. But I first You're heard welcome. Before. I don't remember. Someone said it once and just like you, I was like, oh, that's a really fast and quick way to describe what I'm talking about. Yeah, and I, I appreciate that. And I always try to, when I hear something, I try to make sure I properly cite it because that's the academic <laughs> I was back in my previous life. Well, thank you for joining us today. I, I do welcome. appreciate you taking the time and, and sharing what I think is an amazing approach that your organization has. Well, you are very welcome, and we are always happy to share and broadcast this message. I think the more employers who share about hiring people with any sort of barrier, then it helps other employers to say, okay, this isn't impossible. I could do it too. What would this look like in my universe? And it's only just going to continue to help underutilized populations get the career-tracked employment that they can earn. That's a great point. Underutilized and and what happens when we transition and allow people to be successful like that is we end up with taxpayers, we end up with neighbors, we end up with customers. And it's just one of the the great aspects of this. We we end up with people and not a dehumanizing checkbox on a form. Absolutely. Thank you again. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Hopefully you found it informative and please listen to the remaining parts of this multi-part series as we explore the ways businesses can be successful in hiring and providing support for justice-involved individuals. We encourage you to check out the other resources the Covation Center has for small business owners. Visit our website at covationcenter.org and be sure to watch our video series on YouTube. Just search for Covation Center. We provide various videos designed to help you start and grow your small business. Until next time, have a great day.